Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hi and welcome to the latest Haters TV podcast. I'm Jerry Cox, standing in for Charlie Woolard today. Over here is my partner in crime, Nick Callow. Good to see you back, Nick. Jerry, I'm glad you said who you are because I thought I know Charlie's been ill. I thought bloody hell, Charlie really has been ill. If he's, uh, you know, <laughs> now you look great. I mean, have you just been playing on centre court in your uh, Fred, Fred Perry, Fred Perry uh, Memorial, Wim- show. Wimbledon, yeah, yeah, yeah. very uh, on topic. Like you're yeah, looking good. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay, well I'll remember that one next time. I have to put up with this all the time. The yeah, and right. So, and just to say, you know, it's just sad that Charlie can't be with us today. He's having his tonsils out. So I hope you're tuning in, Charlie, wherever you are. And we look forward to having you back in the Haters Podcast Studio soon. But you have to do with us two seasoned reporters today and our very, very special guest, who I'm sure Jerry is looking forward to introducing. Well, here he is. He's one of our own. He's one of the <laughs> hundreds of graduates from the famous Haters Academy of Sports Journalists. He's now covering, he's an Evening Standards writer covering Arsenal and England Lionesses. So really good time to be having him on the show. Simon Collins. Welcome, Simon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Well, let's get straight into it because I think, you know, there's a lot of business going on. Arsenal obviously just about got that one over the line by the look of it with, with Declan Rice. I mean, I know Charlie's been looking forward to this actually happening. Yeah. He's been talking about it for about two years. Um, and you're in Timber. Um, just explain, because when Nick was first on the show with Darmesh a couple of weeks ago, He'd never heard of Yuri and Timber. <laughs> What's he like? Where's he going to play? We saw him at the World Cup in Holland, with Holland last year, didn't we? Yeah, and he was a player that Manchester United were really interested in in getting last summer. And, and they've got to give some credit to Sam Dean from Telegraph, um, another great Arsenal writer who sort of flagged that when Arsenal were first into him, I think a lot of people thought he's going to be a centre-back in this Arsenal system. But the plan uh, looks like it's going to be that he can play as a right-back. But he'll do similar to what Zinchenko does on the left and tuck in and I think everyone saw last season when Zinchenko was out that Arsenal team fell down because they didn't have a full back who could tuck in and now the idea will be that if there's no Zinchenko then the right back can tuck in and we saw them try it a bit at the end of the season Thomas Partey played a few games and tucked in and I think now what they've done is they basically found a solution to when Zinchenko is not in the team on the other side of the pitch so he's a versatile player similar to Havertz Rice but I think predominantly we'll see him in that right back slot for Arsenal Okay, and, and, and they've got a song for him, haven't they? Haven't they already? Every time he goes down, Timber. <laughs> oh, don't bang the desk. Sorry, Jimin. That's an official warning for the uh, banging of the desk story. We have a lot of this. <laughs> no, I, you're right. I had never heard of Timber before. I've sort of vaguely heard of him, but but now, of course, I realise he's obviously a very good signing, astute signing, and he he's going to what replace Tommy Asu or Ben White? Where's he? Well, I think the does he start? Well, the other issue would be is that when you know Saliba was out injured, the options at centre back 
I mean, how much would have Arsenal fans wanted Ben White to tuck in and, you know, you could have brought someone at right back and now they'll be able to do that. Tomiyasu, for me, he's someone you keep in your squad because you can literally play anywhere across the back four. What it does throw up is, you know, do you keep someone like Rob Holding with a year on his contract? You look to move him on, Cedric Suarez, someone else, a year on a contract. So I think it gives Arsenal options and versatility and in the title race, when they got to the crunch point, I think they lacked being able to change things and having the depth that Man City ultimately had. Do you think Timber is the last man in? Looks like Havertz has done rice. We are hearing today that deal is just about sealed with 105 million with the, with the add-ons and Timber. But uh, are there any more Arsenal players coming? Any more people coming? I think into I Arsenal? think they, they'll still be open to doing business. I think this is the the predominant large chunk of their business. I think now it'll be a case of getting people out the door before they get other ones in. And Thomas Party is the main one who's been mentioned. I think they would consider an offer for him if it's the right offer. And then you get players in, but these three players look like it's the core of the budget. And when you're spending 200 million, um, you'd expect it to be that. But it's, I've seen a report. I don't know if it was in your paper. The stand about Lavia coming in from uh, Southampton, 50 million quid. Yeah, I think he's. I've not heard anything concrete from Arsenal going in from. I think he's a player that is being certainly looked at by all the big clubs. I haven't seen anyone, you know, pull the trigger on him. I think Arsenal. He's a player that they obviously like, but I haven't heard anything concrete that they are fully going for him. And. I think first, when you look at the finances, they'll probably want to get some players out the door before they do anything else. So Tierney's one, isn't we? We expect might go. Yeah, Tierney's one who could go. Xhaka looks like um, Bar Leverkusen for sort of over 20 million, which again, year on contract, good piece of business. Um, Balogun, another player, great season on loan. I think Arsenal are trying to say to clubs they want £50 million. Um, I think they'd do well to get £50 million, but... In the market, they will argue, you know, a young player had a good season in France. What's the going rate for a player like that? They would argue that... Scored a lot of goals, didn't he? Exactly. You know, they would argue that's what a player like that should attract. And I think Arsenal, in this Edu era, they've bought well, certainly in the last two seasons, but they've not sold well. If you look at Bern Leno a year ago, you know, £8 million. I think they will argue that over the next summer window, January, years to come, that Edu needs to improve selling if he's really going to stamp his legacy at this club. That's one area where I think he hasn't quite nailed it yet. Yeah, I, I, would, I would argue, not against that, but you know, one of the reasons is is that they've been very keen to trim down the size of the squad. And this is we've seen mm. it at Chelsea and other clubs. If you just keep demanding more and more money for players, you can't get rid of them. And you end up with these really bloated squads. And I think you know the board at Arsenal have said, well, look, if it costs us an extra five, ten million to get rid of Ozil or Bamiyang, and we can keep the manager happy and trim down the squad, then we'll just we'll do it. It's a bit like paying an extra 10, 20 million pounds for Rice. We need him in. We need those guys out. Let's. We've got the money. We've got all this TV money. Got all this ridiculously high season ticket money. Mm. Let's use it. You know? I, I think as well is he, the issue before is he's been selling players that people, you know, haven't necessarily been in demand for. Whereas this summer, if you look at Kieran Tierney, you think, yeah, that's a good player. People want plenty of Granite Xhaka, Balogun. Mm. So this summer, he's going to be selling players that should command fees. So I think he will argue before, you know, look, I didn't have the the players to sell to generate good fees. I did what I could. Whereas this summer, I think. There's justifiably to say, look, you know, you've got good players here. We should be getting good fees. Jack is an interesting one because obviously he he was completely out of favour with the with the club and mm. the and the fans. And and we'll come on to this in a minute about the disconnect, perhaps between the fans online and the fans in the stadium. But that day he walked off. The fans in the stadium made it clear they weren't happy with him, and yet he turned it completely around. You did the first interview back, mm. I think, didn't you? You know. Yeah. Is it now strange that he wants to go again, but under completely different circumstances? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for Jacques, and I'm, he's someone I, I had the chance to speak to quite a lot 
um, covering Arsenal, partly because he was always a player who would front up after the game. You know, win, lose or draw, mm. he would be quite front foot. And also, I think, you know, when he was trying to rebuild his connection with the fans, I think he understood the role of the media and people around him understood the role of the media that he needs to tell his side of the story. He needs to explain, you know, why everything happened, what led to it. And he was very open about the abuse he received on social media. You know, he spoke openly about it. And I think he's... His work has actually changed a lot of how footballers are received. And yeah, it, it, for me, the benefit and, and the nice thing is to see him leave on a, on a big high. Yeah. Um, I don't think he would have been pushing to leave, but I think it had got to the point where you know him and the club had sat down. Um, he's got a year on his contract. There's no new offer of a contract coming on the table. There's a chance for him to go and play for Barlevkusen under Xavi Alonso, a long contract. It's not a key factor for him, but he will be closer to his wife's family. Um, he's going to play a leading role back in the Bundesliga where he's enjoyed before. So it was one where I think it made sense for all parties. I don't think it was a case of Xhaka being like, you know, I want to get out of this out of this club. I think it was one where it has run its course and he's gone from an incredible redemption arc where three years ago, who would have seen him going out like this? And, mm. and now he leads with his head held high and Arsenal get a good fee. Mm. Now, we did a piece on the Haters website, Haters TV website, about players that fans had sort of forgotten were still at their clubs. And the name that came up first and foremost was Nicolas Pepe. <laughs> now, you know, he's back. He's, he's due back yeah. in training, isn't he? I think yeah. he's got a bit of an injury. He hasn't even got a squad number yeah. anymore. Until the Rice deal, he was the club record signing. Mm. What's, what's going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, Pepe's going to be someone who's going to... They're going to need to try and find um, a buyer for him. It's been a deal that just hasn't worked out, has it? Um, and that was one that was... You know, when at the time I think a lot of people were excited because I can mm. remember I can remember doing the mix zone after he'd signed and um we spoke to a Bamiang and it was the excitement he was saying of, you know, him, Lacazette and Pepe, this front three was over two hundred and fifty million pounds, I think, for all them together. And it never really worked. Mm. Um He had flashes, didn't flashes he? A couple of moments, of times, yeah. yeah. Just I don't think he really settled in in the team and he's not really for me an our an Arteta type player in fair. Doesn't really suit the the way that they want to play. Um And you've got Saka there I yeah mean, <laughs> and, and I just my, my concern is you know are you going to find a buyer for him in this market when he you know he'll be on what, good wages given his fee what's he got left on his contract he's got one year left on his right. on his contract so so um, with his wages and that fee I mean they're going to have to they're going to have to take a hit on that on yeah that day to get him out the door aren't they yeah I mean I think for Nice um, when he was on loan there I think you know he basically Arsenal sort of subsidised some of his wages get him out on loan um, if you can find someone taking brilliant I mean a lot of people are certainly on social media if you see anything on Pepe everyone's saying surely there must be a, it's a club in Saudi Arabia they'll come get him a move there which seems to be where Premier League clubs yeah. they want to get rid of players that seems <laughs> yeah. to be the go-to market um, but I, yeah, I think it's going to be a hard one for him to sell I mean mm. as you say when fans don't sort of really think of him as being part of the club what a buyer's going to think you know so could it be he goes on loan again do you think Arsenal will end up and other clubs indeed in London and around the country will end up loaning a lot of their players rather than selling them this summer yeah, I mean, I, I think well, before this summer when it was coming into it for Chelsea, I looked at their situation and saw saw parallels with Arsenal, where you had a, a bloated squad, some aging players, some players that the manager wouldn't want, and I was thinking, how are they going to get rid of these players? They're going to have to, you know, Arsenal were ruthless and terminated, and they've paid off for it now because they've got space in the wage bill to get in big signings. Um, but Chelsea have basically found that Saudi market where they can get. Yeah, because they used to the sell door. them to Arsenal, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, and Chelsea found that Saudi market to sort of get rid of the the players. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of clubs will try and use that if they can get them there. But 
these are the players that Chelsea sold they're still players with big names mm. and prestige I think where your struggle is if you're sort of a middle Premier League team which play good wages no, no, and finding someone outside of England to pay what you did mm. is going to be really hard because the market outside of the Premier League if you speak to people you know, there's not the money. Nothing like There's it, not no. the money in there. You know, no. people Talk, aren't paying big fees. Talking of Oba, is he going to Saudi? Is that something that you've heard? Because it's amazing how his career has gone from Arsenal to Barcelona to Chelsea. He seems to be just shoved around mm. pretty unwanted. Yeah, I mean, I think my colleague Nizar, you obviously had on here, I think he's, he certainly said he had, had offers from Saudi to go there. Um, I think his wish would have been to go back to Barcelona, where he had obviously went from Arsenal and had a good stint there, didn't he? And yeah, then came yeah, yeah. back to Chelsea. And... Um, and he took on the, the fated number nine shirt, Chelsea, yeah. which is a bad mistake for him. And also him, though, you know, he came when when Tuchel was the manager, yeah. and ten days later he wasn't. And Tuchel had gone, you know, and Tuchel was someone who worked with Aubameyang, and I remember all the time during the Arteta reign, exactly when we were speaking about you know discipline problems, and Tuchel would get asked about it because he worked with him, and he would always defend Aubameyang. Mm. You know, he'd say we'd sort of work round mm. him and defend his character, and you thought when when Aubameyang went, they thought, okay, maybe this will work. Old manager knows a player. And then, yeah, 10 days later, he's out the door. So, Aubameyang is another one where you think, I think Chelsea will be quite happy just to try and get his wages off his books. Um, we're, drif- we're drifting into Chelsea territory a bit here, aren't we? And you know, Mason Mount's move to Man United has been confirmed now. Is it 50 million, 55 million? 55 Seems plus like five, yeah. quite a good price these days, for, in my opinion, a very, very good player. Young player with still a lot of potential. Mm. If I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be like, who's going to be in our midfield? They've got, what, Enzo and Conor Gallagher. Yeah. I mean, you've lost Kante, Kovacic, Mount. Um, yeah. You know, those I mean, are big, three really big top, players. Top yeah. players yeah. I mean, I find it difficult um, to spin the Mount deal as being a good deal for, for Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. I know a lot of people say the fees mm. is a good deal, but for me, you know, selling him to Manchester United, you know, he's one of the one of their own. As a lot of fans go on about, you know, Player of the Year multiple occasions, serial England international, and you know, we you touched on it a bit before, but he's someone who seems to come in for criticism particularly on social media but every coach plays Mason Mount mm. they all pick him they all play him mm. and I would be absolutely stunned if Mauricio Pochettino didn't want to play yeah. Mason Mount he's a coach's player isn't he and I think mm. Nizar made this point when, when they were talking to Declan Rice on England duty he said Mount is a clever player he's smart he knows when to drop back he knows when to attack and coaches like that tactical intelligence they want players like that in their team and of course he can assist he can score and he's going to be a big asset for United and a big miss for Chelsea. But uh, as you were saying, and we, we touched on earlier, there seems to be a disconnect with what fans in the stadium think, because they voted in Player of the Year two mm. years running and they used to love him, and what fans on social media think. You know, they, he used to get lots of abuse. And even now, there's United fans we, we're seeing on our channels, you know, not that impressed with him. A lot of people seem to think, is he, is he that good? And yet, you know, you watch the, the, the match-going fans, the, players, the, the fans who watch those players on a regular basis rate Mason Mount, you know. Mm. And do you think that's, I mean, you've, your experience with Arsenal, this, this disconnect, you know, Wenger had it maybe and, and Arteta mm. to some extent. The fans in the stadium tend to be much more loyal than the ones online, don't they? Yeah, I think there's, there's certainly the match-going fan with managers and players turn a lot slower than they mm. do on, on social media. And even with... Um, you know, even with with Xhaka when he was getting back into the team, I think within the stadium fans were quite supportive of him. Um, and when they turned on him, that's why it was all the more yeah. you know, incredible to have that. But I think Ramsdale was another good example where I remember when he joined. You know, he spoke about he disabled the comments on his social media because he had so much abuse. And that first game, I remember going to West Brom away in the Carabao Cup, and the fans there were all singing his name in the away end. Mm. And he sort of realised 
once he was on the pitch, he was like, actually, it's completely different, the reception mm. I'm getting mm. with these fans. Um, and managers are the same. I think managers will get a, a lot longer rope from fans who go every week, who pay the money. Um, and that was a big thing for Arteta, I think, who, who had fans in the stadium, stayed with him for a long time. And there was also a point when it was a COVID era that it was probably just as well there weren't any fans because I remember yeah. you know, we were going there at seven o'clock every Sunday it felt and it was yeah. Arsenal losing and it was a new record, new record. Um, but there is a tolerance from, from match-going fans and, and why that is, you would argue it should be less because they're paying the money every yeah. week but maybe they've just been in seen it so much that they appreciate things take time. I think, I think if you're prepared to pay a lot of money and it is always a lot of money in the Premier League now to go to see your team, you're committed, you want to see your team win and you know that by supporting your team, you're giving them much more of a chance of winning. If you're sitting at home, watching it on a stream, watching it on TV or Twitter, you're much more likely just to sort of fire off a comment. You've got no, you haven't got 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people around you all saying, get behind the team. You'll be that lone voice of saying, I'll tether out. I mean, as you said, when Wenger got to the latter stages of his time at Arsenal, there were Wenger out protests, mainly outside the ground, and sometimes they're abandoned because only three people turned up. But going to the papers and going to, to social media, there's just thousands of voices. Mm. And you go into our comments on Haters TV and the press conferences too. A lot of people turned on him. Mm. And still we get a few for Mikel Arteta, even after the last two seasons. After the one cone layer. Up. There's one, <laughs> yeah. one, one guy yeah. always calls him the cone layer. You yeah. know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he watches this. I hope he is. Get in the comments. By the way, Sam, we have got some questions for you from our Haters TV subscribers. Remember to subscribe if you're not a subscriber. You watching there, sneakily sneaking in without subscribing. Like and share. And if you can tell your friends to watch the podcast, it's on Spotify. Like Jerry said, we've got things on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram. There's bits of the podcast you're going to be going viral after this time. <laughs> and if you come up with a really good transfer story, I've got the exclusive <laughs> Haters TV bell alarm to, to ring. I mean, what do you think? I'll tell you what, if you could tell us, because I think our viewers are quite intelligent viewers at Haters mm. TV. They're quite interested in those. How do these stories come about? You know, how does someone like you get this exclusive interview with Granite Xhaka? Is it him coming to you? Is it the club mm. saying, look, can you have a word with Granite? He needs a bit of a boost. I mean, and your transfer stories. How do you go about get, sourcing that information? Yeah, I mean, the key thing, I think, is, um, is relationships in journalism. Is the people, you know, trusting you with a story, trusting you with information. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'll get information that you can't, you know you can't run or because someone doesn't want out there but they've told you that and it's um building that trust with people um over time and you know with with players we've sort of seen it um with someone like granite where we were seeing him every week same faces it's why people have the same reporters cover clubs because you get to know the players you get to know the staff you pick up things in that sort of sense that's why you have beat reporters um yeah, and we noticed it with Granite that he would be someone who would, would trust us. And I, and I can remember being at the World Cup in Qatar um, and, you know, Switzerland just being knocked out, lost 5-1. And, yeah, I was pretty late in the day and I was about one of the only ones there and asked me to stop, recognised me, happily as a chat for a, for a few minutes. Um, I mean, with transfers, it is probably one of the hardest things mm. to try and break. Um, as anyone told me, I mean, if you look at David Ornstein, who's... If anyone's had a good transfer window, I think it's him yeah. compared to any clubs Coming on or the players. pod soon, by the way, David. Um, yeah, and, he, and, he's, and he's probably one of, the, he's probably one of, if not the best in the business. Mm. And that has taken him, you know, I mean, when was he with you guys? The, the way he's built his career, built relationships with trust, 
He's someone, I think, if you were a source of information, you could trust going to him and know it be reported in the right way. So these things sort of take time. And it's a reason why the people breaking a lot of the stories are the experienced journalists, you know, the David Ornstein, Matt Law, Sammy Mottballs, who've taken their time to build that career. It's something that don't think there's really a trick where you can sort of get to the finish line and suddenly be, you know. Mm. And you need a bit of scepticism as well because yeah. you get, a, you know, you. I mean, whether you're just a, a, a viewer or a, a, a member of the audience reading in the nose on social media, mm. you know, you've got to you've got to have some scepticism about these things. And sometimes you get sort of uh, false leads from agents because they want to encourage mm. some interest when there's, you know, maybe that club isn't really into some, into someone, but he wants to get the bidding war going. Mm. But you know, this so you've got to be a, a bit cynical yeah. and a bit sceptical. Well, yeah. There's always going to be two sides to every story, but even more so in, in, in a transfer window if a player wants his, his agent linked with that club. And you've got to do the due diligence of speaking to both sides. You know, if you hear something from an agent, you need to put it to the club and say, look, I've heard this story. You know, is there anything you want to say on it? I'm planning on reporting this. Is there any issues with that? Um, you need to have something that's balanced. You can't just go and speak to an agent or a player and just write chapter and, and verse. And assuming, presumably, you can tell from what people don't tell you and answer those questions saying, I hear you're interested in next player or he might be leaving. Mm. And if they're saying, well, they're umming and ahhing, maybe you can insinuate that. I can't talk about that. I, yeah. Can, yeah. I couldn't possibly <laughs> tell you. Yeah, exactly. It's a non-denial denial. As they call yeah, it. I yeah. mean, yeah, and it's, it is a really difficult thing to sort of navigate your way through it, particularly when, you know, speaking to so many different sources and trying to cut to what the absolute truth is. Um, and I think a lot of people just tell you, just make sure, if you actually want to be first, just make sure you're right. Uh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I think everyone in the comments here or social media will tell you if you're wrong on something. Yeah. And the other thing, I, great advice I got way back in the day, I think it was old Reg Hater or I mean, Dennis Signey, when we were coming through as young reporters, is sometimes just being in the right place at the right time mm. is when you get a story. And I remember early in your haters' career, you just happened to be at a Leicester game covering that when Nigel Pearson went into a meltdown <laughs> and started comparing a reporter to an ostrich. Yeah. And that went well, viral. Yeah, the ostrich game, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. That was your footage, wasn't it? Yeah. It just went viral. Yeah. And, and then the following season, because we thought, well, that, that worked quite well. You live sort of on your way, halfway to Leicester. Maybe you can cover <laughs> Leicester this season. Yeah. And it, it turned out to be quite a good year, didn't it? Yeah, it was a bad year. I mean, that first, first season was obviously the great escape yeah. where they were down yeah. and somehow Pearson, despite insulting journalists, kept them up. And then, yeah, Claudio pulled off the, um, the miracle. You know, and was in no the, pre in, in the press box watching Andrea Bocelli sing yeah. Ness and Dorma in From in start May. to finish that season. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah incredible. And, and that is the, um, the best thing about our job, isn't it? That, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen from week to week, from day to day. Um, and that Leicester story, yeah, was brilliant. And, and, and that is what you're saying there about the, being in the right place. Again, comes back to this of why um, websites, newspapers have beat reporters because they're at every game, they're at every press conference. They're there, you know, in mixings. Like when I spoke to Granite for, um, for the first time, he spoke about the captaincy being losing it and fans booing him. Literally because I was in the mix zone there after the game. You know, it was me and um, me and sat there, and then you know you get to talk to them. So I think that's that is the key of just trying to be in the right place. And um, yeah, sometimes things will fall into place. Mm. Now, listen, we were talking about players moving around a lot, but uh, what seems to happen more and more, especially this this summer, but um, you know, increasingly as time goes on, managers are moving, and, and managers sort of talk is you know the speculation about managers moving just increases increases. I mean, this week, Stephen Gerrard's gone to Saudi Arabia, having denied it completely mm. the day before, then the next day he seems like he's going. 
Is it? Is it? I mean, we all know, you know, the, the shelf life of a manager at the top level has got less and less. You know, you're lucky if you get a year or two years. Or if you're at Chelsea, you know, <laughs> I think I, I made the point the other day, I've, I've seen 28 Chelsea managers in 30-odd years covering them. Um, so is there now an element that you're, you're sort of speculating about managers' careers, where they're going and, and what sort of moves are going to be happening? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like the manager market... Um was a big thing, particularly going to this summer window, um, when it was Tottenham and Chelsea moving around of what position they were going to be in. That, and some of the big European clubs yeah, as well. So and, those big players like Nigelsmann, yeah. you know, he's got PSG, uh, Bayern Munich possibly, uh, Real Madrid were in the mix, weren't mm. they? So, I mean, they're all sort of, maybe I'm holding on for this one, but yeah. I can turn this That's one down. When, they, when yeah. they come onto the market, you know, someone like a Nagelsmann, He's suddenly attracting interest from Tottenham, and then obviously maybe maybe the Real Madrid job's going to come up, or PSG, and and you know Tuchel's the same, isn't he? I think he was sort of someone Tottenham would have quite liked, and then the Bayern, and that's why Bayern Munich, you know, move quickly. Reports in Germany, yeah, yeah. they move quickly because they wanted to get their man. Um, and I think for managers as well, there's probably, I think there's probably an expectation or a realization that you've got to try and go for jobs if you're not in that absolute top tier of you know your your Nagelsmanns or your, you know, the elite coaches. You know, look at someone like Brendan Rodgers who's gone back to back to Celtic. Mm. I think you could have argued, maybe said, you know, maybe wait and wait for a Premier League job, but he's quickly got back into work. Um, and the speed of which things are moving makes it makes it an interesting market to follow as well. And I think I don't know, you guys might notice from your videos or social media, is it as much interest in the manager movement as there is yeah. in sort of transfers and oh, play? Jose Mourinho is probably the best example, yeah. wasn't it? Because fans would follow him rather than the clubs. Mm. So when he left Tottenham for Roma, we had comments saying, that's it, I'm done with Tottenham. I'm no longer a Spurs fan. I'm a Roma fan. <laughs> you know, they may not be from North London or from mm. the outskirts of Rome, but they certainly were following Jose Mourinho rather than the clubs he was managing. You know? So there is, there's definitely that, the cult of the manager. Yeah, um, I think when, when a manager's been at a club for quite a long time and fans are getting a bit tired of his tactics or his selections mm. or, his, or his results, normally that's what sees him go. They're in, you know, fascinated to see the new guys. The Leeds fans, I presume, are what's Daniel Farker going to look like in the Leeds kit? Talking about our club, we've mm. seen him at Norwich, and you know, can he be can he be a good manager for us? What's you know, Postecoglou's got his first press conference at Tottenham at the time of recording late this week. Poch is getting unveiled at Chelsea too. Mm. You know, we're so used to seeing Poch in Tottenham as Tottenham manager. Oh, it's going to be so strange. There were, there were a lot <laughs> of Tottenham fans, fans you know. crying their eyes out when no, they well, saw. He says they're the biggest. Poch. Biggest Not only wearing the Chelsea gear, but actually saying, well, this is the greatest team of the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And you think, well, Man City were bad, one or they? two clubs <laughs> yeah. would, would question that. But that's, you know, mm. that's him trying to make a positive statement to get off to a winning start at Chelsea, isn't it? Winning over the fans, yeah. first of all. Because I mean, that that's a hot seat, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that was, of all the managerial moves uh, this summer, that's the one I'm most, most intrigued to see because Chelsea surely can't be as bad as they were Last season, but I think he's got a, I think he's got a big job on his hands mm. to turn it around. But it was interesting watching that interview. I mean, you'll you'll know from covering Poch a lot that he is someone who I think understands the media and the power of the media, knows when he wants to get a message across. And I thought he was quite front foot there, endearing to the fans and saying a lot of things that will, you know, get a good response. A yeah. lot of people being like, "Oh, he's a check." You know, there wasn't any sort of like. You know, it was really difficult for me to come because of my Tottenham loyalties. It was all, you know, playing to the fans. And mm. I think he's realised now he's there, he's got to get some easy wins. And also, <laughs> you know, he was talking about the squad, an unbelievable squad. Mm, um, yeah. And, you know, 20 minutes ago, we were saying they've lost Mount, they've lost Kovacic, they've lost Kante. Yeah. So I, I think Poch has been quite clever there to try and 
get the the message across early because that's really what Graham Potter never did from the world yeah. go did he he never, he never connected with the fans no he? and mm. I don't think he put out that message that you know it's almost like you're lucky to have me here mm. because I'm going to do great things mm. and you know it might sound arrogant but that's probably what they wanted to hear yeah. whereas I think they all thought he's lucky to be here mm. and their expectations were low and the results were didn't follow either so you know you've got to get off like you said you've got to get yeah. off to a winning start be interesting when Potch turns up at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium mm. with uh, yeah, what, do you, what, what do you think of, what do you think of reception I think it would be mixed I think it would be mixed I think there's a lot of Tottenham fans still love him because he, he turned Tottenham around you know really did from from this serial underachievers just not really even challenging to a team that actually had a decent go at it for four or five years you know two second place finishes Champions League semi-finalists and uh, you know he looked like a manager who got Spurs playing that way again and and in, of course what followed was was a reversion to pretty dull football and not great results so he's still you know lionized by a lot of Tottenham fans and but on the other hand there's a load of fans who are thinking right he's gone to one of our enemies and we're not going to back him and he'll get he'll get booed by mm. some yeah it's absolutely guaranteed get booed but he'll get cheers as well you know? mm. so but, it'll be but Chelsea fans will be demanding trophies won't they they won't top four won't be enough it might be next season might be. yeah so I don't think I think it, it would be very demanding to expect this that Chelsea side that I mean I was just looking through my reports last season and from from Christmas onwards it was defeat at home to you know Everton or Southampton Everton mm. there was there were some really terrible results they got so you'd expect them to be better, but to be winning a, t- a trophy or really pushing for the title in his first year, I think that's a push, don't you? Yeah, I, when you look where they were, they were a bottom half team, weren't yeah, they? You know, they were um, really, really struggling. And I think for them, it's just about, I mean, even to make the Champions League, I think it would be a brilliant season. I think it's just about getting near the top of the table. Um, I looked at the again. I mean, it's difficult. To, different to Arsenal because obviously Chelsea have almost put themselves in this situation with the money they spent under Bowley. But the size of the rebuild feels sort of comparable to Arsenal for me. And, and Arsenal took you know two three years mm. to get in that Champions League under Arteta. Mm. And for me, if Chelsea if it takes them two seasons to get in the Champions League, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Simply because the teams above them, <clears> you know, have not got worse. Um, teams like Brighton who are pushing forward, Villa spending good money got good coaches um, so it's going to be a really difficult job for Pochettino and I, and I think there will need to be some patience from the Chelsea fans for that um, and I think the way Pochettino is speaking I think will build that connection that for me with Potter there was never that bond with the Chelsea fans they never connected no. with that and Pochettino did that very well at Spurs you know it was a big thing for him if he can do the same at Chelsea it will help him and the players that's another thing isn't mm. it because you also felt Potter never really had the players fully on board and Pochettino, one of his great strengths at Spurs was mm. he got that group like a family, you know, the, the whole coaching staff. He's already done it at Chelsea, hasn't he? He's had a, a barbecue for yeah. the staff, you know. So he, he fosters that family spirit and it, we're all in it together. Big big sort of hug, a big arm around the shoulders of everyone. And that's important, get the players on board because there was a lot of discontent, wasn't mm. there, at, at Chelsea. There has been for a couple of years, really. And I think you sort of, you feel that there's a, is something in in the psyche at Chelsea that they, they if they if they don't like the manager they can actually get rid of him. They've mm. done it year after year after even Mourinho and Conte and Sarri. You know the players sort of down tools a little bit. You know um, Tuchel was maybe different, but that was the board rather than mm. the players. But you know you sort of get the feeling that players feel whether it's good or bad that 
they've got the ability to see off a manager if they don't really fancy him. So it's really important yeah. to get the players on yeah. board. And the it? same happened to Mourinho and Conte at Tottenham, of yeah. course, as well. Yeah. You know, huge managers going to Tottenham. You thought they're going to that could they could be the ones to get get a trophy back at Tottenham. Now they've got Big Ange Postacoglu, who, as I said, is going to be mm. coming onto the scene. We'll have him on Hayes TV very very soon. His first press conference. You're going to be covering Tottenham, aren't you, this, this season, even the, even this summer? Can he make Tottenham great again? Well, I think he's. I think he's a better. F- I think he's a good fit. Um, I think the profile-wise, I think he's a manager, and maybe not so much with Mourinho, but but certainly with Conte, kind of felt like he was doing Spurs a favour yeah, being yeah. the manager. He didn't really um, hide it very well. Yeah, and it, whereas with I think Postecoglou feels like someone who wants to be at that club. He's an ambitious manager. He wants to prove himself. Exactly. In the Premier League yeah, as well, I think he's he, got yeah. a point to prove, and I think the Conte kind of felt like you know I'm doing you a favour being here. <laughs> whereas I feel Postecoglou will really you know relish that opportunity. Uh, I think he's a very good talker. He plays attractive football. He's a big personality, and I think he's a good fit to go for for Spurs. I think he's going to have a difficult job to get them in in the Champions League, um, particularly when you don't know what's going to happen with Harry Kane. Um, but I think for for Spurs, I think in the in the market that they were looking in and, and you know the names they were trying to get, I think they could have done worse than someone like Postecoglou mm. personally. But expectations won't be for him to hit the ground running in terms of. Challenging for the title next season, wouldn't they? No, I think I think most Spurs fans would, at the very least, just want to see some good football again. That's yeah. that's a starting point because they haven't really seen it for a couple of you know for a while, mm. <laughs> really, on a consistent basis. Yeah. You know, there was a, maybe the second half of the season before last. You know, when they when they ended up finishing yeah. top four uh, under Conte, but but apart from that spell, there hasn't really been much to get excited about at, at Tottenham since since the Champions League run. You know, in, in twenty nineteen. Um, so they want to see that, and then they want to see Spurs at least having a go. And I think, you know, one of the c- criticisms of Mourinho and Conte particularly was that they were prepared to sort of bin off the s- smaller tournaments. You know, they had real chances in the FA Cup and the League, you know, Carabao Cup, League Cup, as I still call it, uh, to have a go at that. You know, yeah. and then they played weakened teams and were knocked out accordingly. And you think, why didn't they just go for that? You know, because every listen, everyone's criticism of Tottenham. And the whole thing that reflects on Kane. They haven't won a trophy for, mm. I think I counted up the other day, Postacoglu, including sort of caretaker stints, will be the 10th man since they look, they won a trophy, 10th wow. manager, you know, since one day Ramos. <laughs> maybe uh, that's one of the reasons it's been so long since they won a trophy. Maybe it is. But, you know, so so to challenge would be, mm. would be interesting, would be something they'd want. But I think more than anything, to get that club playing the sort of football and I think you know Pochettino the, the, the comparisons with Pochettino are quite good as well he seems a similar character and he, he's got a, that sort of regrouping rebuilding reset mm. to do mm. that, that Pochettino did quite well after you know AVB and then Tim Sherwood for God's sake and all the money from Bale was sort of wasted mostly mm. wasn't it so they you know Pochettino came in and, and turned it around it took a year but then he he got out some some of the deadwood got in some young hungry players and I think that's what he's going to have to do at Chelsea isn't it you were, you were talking earlier Jerry about the disconnect and um, you know you said that Arteta and you know, Unai Emery there was a big disconnect yeah wow, big what disconnect a what a and that job. was one of the things that Arteta had to overcome yeah. and he won the FA Cup within six months of, of taking over which bought him a bit of time but he also mm. was granted the backing of the of the not too popular Arsenal owners at, at the time and even now the Cronkies to say well, we'll let you change the culture of a club reconnect with the fans, get yeah. the players and the fans back together, get rid of the people that people don't like and get on as sort of spoiling the atmosphere here. 
Does he does Postecoglou got to contend with that at Tottenham, or is it doesn't seem quite? It's so not bad. as toxic as it had got at Arsenal, I don't think. Um, so I don't think it's that. That's the big problem. I think he's already got. You know, he's he's got some goodwill in the bank just because of the way he plays football and he's known for. And I think my personal, you know, taking a taking a bit of a punt on it, still with a season a month away, and you'll be there in Perth or his first yeah. first big game, so on home soil for him. Yeah. Um, I think once once the fans see Tottenham playing on the front foot. And you know, there's with with everyone fit, and if Kane stays, they're a decent team. You know, a decent team. Um, then that, I think that that will buy him a lot of goodwill, and I think then then he can go into the season with a bit of optimism. You know, and I think there'd be a feel good factor sooner rather than later, as long as they don't have a terrible terrible start. You know, which uh, you can't legislate against that, can you? Mm. Mm. I just wonder if we want to talk about Simon's role in, in, in women's football or save that for when he comes back well, on the pod. absolutely. But we've also got our uh, Haters TV viewers questions. Well, let's have some quick club questions. Too. I'll have to put on my uh, executive spectacles for these. <laughs> Whoa, that's big. Um, well, the first one's from uh, Wally Downs of, of West London. <laughs> who says, we know Wally. He says... Um, I just, you know, is he's it? in West London somewhere <laughs> he's in a ditch I think he says <laughs> he just wonders how um, you keep that quiff so perfect in these challenging <laughs> summer times because it is your you know your train I mean, look at the sign it's beautiful yeah. sign you've got to get a window seat on the train okay. <laughs> head out and then that's the only way like a spaniel and no pro- I mean, that'll be my issue for Australia is trying to pack enough hair gel for yeah, do they weeks. not sell it down under? What is your product? Can't of take choice? that risk. Can't take that risk. I mean, we're not. We don't have any. You always welcome any hair product uh, companies to come and sponsor us here on the on the podcast. But is it just not? It's just. Nat- I use it's D- just- I use Defi. Oh, other nice. hair products are available. Okay, no, I've never heard of that. But mainly putting your head out the window. Yeah. In the car, <laughs> train, or any window you can find. Okay, now this is a great name. This is Dustin the Dustin the Turkey from Ireland. And he wants to. He wants a question about Brighton. Right, I mean, what a season oh, yeah. they had oh. last season. And I imagine they'll be challenged again. They're selling players. I don't know if they bought. But he says, have Brighton changed their recruitment philosophy, fearing other bigger teams are copying them? He said, going into the South American exa- market, for example, he's, he's just basically, can Brighton sustain this amazing yeah. level of recruitment? Well, the, the interesting thing with that is going to be the rules around, um, obviously, Brexit and you know the qualifying for a work permit has has made it easier to get in South American players. Uh, and if you look at the way Chelsea have attacked that market quite aggressively, paying you know pretty substantial fees for players, I think there are clubs who are trying to get into that into that role. Brighton will still back themselves as being you know one of the best in that area, and, and they've benefited from being in that sweet spot where I know that when when they signed Moisés Caicedo, he was linked with Manchester United as well as I remember. Um, but if you're Caicedo, you know you're going to go to Brighton and you'll play a lot of football in the mm. team for two, three years whereas if you make that jump to a Manchester United mm. Well they sent him on um, loan didn't they initially they Yeah, send him if you like, make that jump you know you're not mm. you're probably not mm. going to get in the team and Watford's not quite as good example but I remember I imagine Brighton have similar conversations but Watford used to say to players look when you come to us you know you can play you're going to get lots of performances we're in the Premier League and we will sell you to a big club when the offer comes in you will get that move Southampton did the same Yeah, well, and, I think Bro- and you can see with Brighton like- you know the likes of Alexis McAllister getting the move, um, you know, Moises Garcia should be getting a big move. They give, last year. Yeah, they give players this platform and then you can move there. So it's, it's a difficult model for someone like, um, you know, an Arsenal or a Manchester United to replicate because they're looking almost in that mm. market where they, they want to buy the Moises Garcia that he is now, not the one he is then. But certainly that area of tapping into the South American market, which Brighton did with um, 
Julio and Sisso, who we saw at the back end last yeah, season. He's a good player, doesn't he? I think they're going to find that difficult now with the with the changes to the laws and. Chelsea certainly are the big ones who are who are going hard. And, and and just quickly in a sort of word or two, Casado is he leaving this summer? I think he will go. Yeah, Chelsea. I think more likely Chelsea. Right, the Chelsea fans. He's the next uh, N'Golo Kante, isn't he? He's, he's, yeah. he's one of those yeah, players. We talk who... about no midfielders. Chelsea oh, yeah, <laughs> he gets. He, he just covers a lot of ground. That'd be he? a hell of a He's got three lungs and yeah. four legs. You know. That's a, uh, really. Well, that's <laughs> no wonder he's worth. You may not have noticed this, but I do. But just on that Brighton question and Dustin, Dustin the Turkey, is it? Dustin Turkey? the Turkey. He uh, might be interested in Ireland, is his form. Yeah, <laughs> they, they've been very good on the Irish market as well. And mm. I know Paul Barber, the chief exec, and mm. I did a piece with him towards the end of the season, actually, because... Um, Evan Ferguson, of course. Ferguson had just yeah. signed a new deal, but they've actually got three or four young Irish players in the under-21s, under-17s. And there is apparently a really good crop of young Irish players coming through. And Brighton have, have, have worked that market quite well for a few years. You know, they, they've sort of, in a way, what Paul said to me is a lot of clubs neglect, neglect Ireland. They think it's a bit too close, maybe. But he said, if you can get good players, bring them over, they, they can acclimatise very quickly. You know, it's mm. pretty much the same. And again, we promised them that there's a good pathway to the first team here. And he said, that's really important. And, you, you know, if you can persuade the player, the mum, the agent, mum and dad, that they're, they're going to get a chance here. It's much easier than, than a Man United or a Liverpool or a yeah. Chelsea Arsenal trying to do that because they're probably not going to get that chance. Mm. And you talk about Lavia, you know, he was one at City and he didn't really get anywhere near the first team mm. at City. And they let him go to Southampton and he's just, you know, I was, I was at his first game last season and I thought, wow, he Good looks, player, he looks yeah. the part. And he's obviously now being talked about as a £50 million yeah. player. So it is going. South Coast seems to be a good place mm. to go, but going to the, those mid ranking clubs, if you like. Yeah. and getting experience and, and showing what you can do you, you can bet that Brighton are probably ahead of all of us in terms yeah. of where, it's a where very, the market is they will know Bright, where Brighton and Brentford are probably the two best yeah. run clubs they will know the where the market is mm. next yeah, so. yeah, yeah. we've got time for a couple more yeah go I think on. We have, so there's um, Dilly Hill 2127 one of the great that's I an address it. isn't it <laughs> yeah he says is Phil Jones going to Saudi I don't know but um, again, with, it falls into that market, doesn't it, of players that you clubs are trying to offload. Yeah, uh, yeah, you forgot we were there. Forgot there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I think his contract is might have finally, finally expired yeah. Manchester United. Yeah. Um, and I can remember when he joined from Blackburn, that was one of the big big coups, wasn't it? Mm. Fergie's, was he one of Fergie's last big signings? I think. Yeah. He said he's going to be a future captain, the new Brian mm. Robson and God knows how it's rolled, rolled into one. And he was in the England team, wasn't he? It all sort of went Maybe. wrong. Yeah. I see Ainsley Maitland-Niles has been released by Arsenal yes, as well. Yeah. By another, there's a, so many players out of contract. It's probably a whole new mm. podcast on, on out of contract players. There's someone who calls himself Football Interviews. Maybe you can get a job <laughs> with us here. All write in and let us know if you want to we always do like some work with uh, Haters TV. He says, I might be he, might be she, is £60 million a reasonable price for Mount? And is he a good signing overall? I think um, in terms of one year on contract... It's a pretty. It's a probably a reasonable fee. Um, as we said, I think it's difficult for, for Chelsea to spin it losing you know a player like that. I think it's a really good signing for Man United, particularly for the way Ten Hag likes to play. Um, you can see him fitting in that system, maybe ahead of Eriksson, or you know he can play out on the left. He can play as an out and out number ten. Um, and ev- every coach has always wanted to play Mason Mount. You know he's very technically astute, tactically sound. Works very hard off the ball. His work ethic is, mm. you know, brilliant. He'll press really high. He's for me. He's very suited to a ten hog team. I think it's. I think it's a good piece. Yeah, of business. I think we touched on Mason. I think he makes United stronger. Joining them, Chelsea weaker. Mm. Leaving is how I would sum that up. 
Hovish 99, I don't know what sort of name that is, maybe it comes from Hove or near there, Hovish. He says, is Jesus or Jesus Balogun for Ar- enough for Arsenal to win the league? Well, I suppose Balogun's going to stay. Um, mm. Is he going to stay? I think they could, if they get a good offer, I think they would, I think they'd be tempted to cash in on it. More than, more um, so than Ketia? I think the issue with ba- Balogun's got two years on his deal. Um, he's on probably about half the wages what Nketiah is and Nketiah's got four years so if you're looking trying to shift one of those players um, I think you're easier to sell Balogun and Nketiah's sort of a good bench player isn't he yeah player coming off the bench yeah. he did it a lot last season he, he scored loads goals. of goals when he started last yeah. season when yeah. Gabriel mm. Jesus had his operation after, after the World Cup and you sort of get the impression he's probably a player who's not unhappy if he's on the bench Do yeah you know what I mean he's not doesn't feel he should be in the first team every week perhaps for better or worse you know? yeah no, but that, that is easier to manage then isn't it well I think Balogun's made it pretty clear that he either is going to play or, he's, or he wants to leave doesn't want yeah. to go on loan again so it's, it's kind of play me or sell me really okay well that, that pretty much sums up the question there's one more here I think this is uh, I've lost his name now Zenex I think his name is uh, some strange names you guys have got is can Chelsea win the Premier League next season now do we mean 23, 24, 24, 25, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you, it's clipped up and sent to me in May, but I, I, don't, I don't think they will win the Premier League. Mm. Uh, I mean, if they do, it would be an incredible job for Pochettino. But um, I would be surprised if Pochettino is going in there, uh, having his barbecue food and saying that we'll be winning the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I think the top four for me are going to be... If they made top four, I think it would be a very good season for Chelsea. Yeah, but the contender, we've got City, Arsenal, United, Liverpool... Chelsea Liverpool came strong again didn't they yeah. they, they overcame that blip so Vill- are Villa going to be Brighton, good again Spurs, well Villa yeah. and Brighton will be in Europe Newcastle, which is yeah. going to be quite tough oh, Newcastle, yeah. Yeah, they're sorry. going to be stretched by being in Europe Newcastle we haven't seen in Europe yet yeah. either with, with a smallish squad so those three might find it a little bit harder uh, Tottenham aren't in Europe which is generally Conte had that luxury didn't he yeah. that season he won the league at, at Chelsea so I'm not saying Spurs will but that, that will help mm. I think there's you know, there's a lot of variables in there. You know, yeah. How do West Ham's, you know, new European champions, as they call them, <laughs> how do they spend that windfall? I mean, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Mm. They've got to buy a striker. Well, they're, they're going to have the same situation Spurs had with Bale, didn't they? Yeah. Where you've got... And the market knows you've got money is the other issue, yeah. I think, that West Ham <laughs> What have. a very, very hard player to replace. They can't directly replace Rice because he's sort of... No, but, you, yeah, you, you, but you, they need a goal scorer, don't they? Mm. they? They've been sort of making do up front for a long time and they need an out-and-out number nine, don't they? So... Just one more question on that, Arsenal. Do you think Arsenal will go into the season without a recognised striker? Because they went through the whole uh, last season without one. Well, it depends if you classify Jesus as mm. uh, not being recognised. I think he's a number nine. I think yeah, he is a number nine. Just a small mm. um, I think there are there is an argument. And, and some fans would like <laughs> to maybe have a sort of different, you know... Um, Earning hard. Target, target man, yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of people like Erling. But a sort of target man number nine. Mm. Giroud. Get, get him yeah. back. Oh, yeah. And, and that sort of play, you know, you think of the games like, um, I think back to Goodison Park, Everton away. Um, games where they struggled to play out from the back and they didn't have that plan B where City can An do out it. Ball. City yeah. can do it because Haaland can do everything, but they can just go direct and just play long. And that's probably the one thing you'd say about Arsenal that they couldn't really do. I mean, Havertz struggled at Chelsea, but I guess he's six foot two, could maybe do a bit of that. But... Um, I think Jesus, that season, you've got to remember, you know, knee injury in the middle of it kind of disrupted a lot of it. I can remember the first sort of, up until the World Cup, people were saying how brilliant he was mm. and how if Arsenal were going to lose anyone at the World Cup, don't let it be Jesus, of course, got injured. Mm. Um, so I, I think I think they could easily go into the season with Jesus and Nketiah being the, being the two. Okay. 
Brilliant. So we, you're, we know you're going to be off to Perth to watch Tottenham because you're a big fan of Tottenham. <laughs> and we white, know got that, the Tottenham white shirt on. And you'll be in between that and looking for hair products. You're going to be uh, covering the Women's World Cup. So burning question, golden question. Can England win? Uh, can they win? Yeah. Will they win? I don't know. I'm not so sure. If you'd asked me six months ago, I'd have been pretty confident or in their chances I think now it's, it's going to be very difficult um, yeah injuries players retiring haven't had the most seamless build up um, disputes over bonuses deciding the date of the training camp um, so it will be tough but I think the big factor is having Serena Vigman as a manager I think that is uh, their race in the hole mm-hmm. good well we've got another podcast yeah. on that coming you're up. coming back to talk about a bit more about women's football in another show here so that's fantastic Simon Thanks so, so much for coming. You're our fourth guest on the Haters <laughs> TV episode. I would say, being possibly, you know, no disrespect to Pete, Darmesh and Nizar, but I say this has been my favourite one so far. You've been our oh. best guest yet. And I'm going to give you official... Certainly made the top four for me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely top four. You're the Champions League. Yeah, successful yeah. season. Champions yeah. League, yeah. Good. Well, Brilliant. As much as you could hope for, really. <laughs> so that's it from this this latest podcast don't forget subscribe like tell your friends comment share and keep coming back everything on haters tv we're on pretty much every platform you can think of even there's a new one starting this week isn't it oh threads. yeah the new threads, threads yeah nice we'll, we'll probably yeah. be on that sooner or later so <laughs> just watch out for haters tv google us and you'll find us see you later 